Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Join our members-only club on Spotify and get exclusive podcasts only our members get Monday through Friday at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time with Chinatown Hollywood. Get over there and subscribe now. Rock on. Said it's real nice down south right now. Uh, how uh, it's like minus three here. Oh, great! So that's that's outside of Chicago, right? Yeah, right outside of Chicago. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, in Dallas, the, the temperature fluctuates, but like the good thing is we know that when it turns cold, it's not stay, staying cold for very long. So I think it's 60 today. The weekend's supposed to be 68 and 70 for Saturday and Sunday, which is good because that's when we make our money is on the weekends. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and never lived out outside of it. Oh, man. Uh, Stroker Dallas, let's start there right now. Yep. You're the owner of one of the biggest biker bars in the Dallas area. Tell well, us about that. Well, it's, I mean, as far as biker bars, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, we're two and a half acres. It's a motorcycle shop. You know, we do custom motorcycles and stuff. So we're a motorcycle shop. We're a bar and grill. I also own a hot rod shop. And uh, and I actually own an insurance company, an all-state insurance company here, too. And so it's just, you know, like on the weekends, this weekend, okay, it's uh, January, the end of January, 68 on Saturday, 70 on Sunday. So it's just... You know, like on the weekends, this weekend, okay, it's uh, January, the end of January, 68 on Saturday, 70 on Sunday. So it's just. Yeah, there, uh, Rick? Yeah, I heard myself playing back what I'd already said. <laughs> okay, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so basically, we're going to get, we get 500 to 1,000 bikes a day come through here. And they're going to come, they're going to pull in. I've got a big courtyard. So they're going to come into the courtyard. They're going to get a beer. They're going to order something to eat. They're going to walk around. They're going to come to the motorcycle shop. Hopefully they're going to buy a t-shirt or a, like a tie-dye t-shirt or a, or a, a hat or sunglasses or a used Harley or a Rick Fairless custom or something. And then they're just, you know, with the different groups of people meet there. You know, when I have like a bus, it opens up into a bar. We bring in live music on the weekends. So you can actually get a beer, walk around outside in the courtyard where your motorcycle is talking to other other riders, you know. So it's it's a it's a cool deal. And there's really no other place like it that I've ever seen. And people tell me they've never seen it either. 
Well, I've heard all about it. Let me ask you this. When did you start riding, and what got you in to riding motorcycles? When I yeah, that's my kid, question. When I was a kid, uh, my great aunt and uncle had a, a ranch out in East Texas, and so I used to go out there a lot with him at 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. And he had horses, and he had Jeeps, and that was all cool. And we used to ride the horses. We used to ride the Jeeps. And then one day he bought a, a, a motorcycle, and it was like a Honda 350 or something, and I'm like seven or eight years old. So it was way too big for me to ride, but I just thought it was so cool. And then a couple of weeks later, I go back out there, and he had bought a little uh, Honda Mini Trail 50. And it's like, oh, my God, or actually it was a predecessor to that. It's like, oh, my God, this is something I can ride. Can I ride, you know, and we would ride on it. We would take turns riding it through the, the sand and the dirt and the fields and through the woods. And it was just like I was just addicted. And then uh, he wound up probably a year later getting a couple of new ones. And he said, why don't you take this old one back to Irving? And it can be your, your motorcycle. And from that time on, that would have been in about 63 or 64. I've never been without a motorcycle. So you're a child of the 60s. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Is and that I'm, where the tie-dye comes from? I'm proud of that, Hollywood. I bet you are, man. I wish I could have lived through the 60s. You know, it was it was a different time. The, the, and it's true. The, the world wasn't mean like it is now. You know, the world is kind of a mean place now, and it's not. It wasn't back then, and, and I try to run my place the way it was it was back then. You know, what I always say when people come to my house, I don't care if they're riding a Harley or a Honda sport bike or they got a, a, a Ford Pinto. I don't care, and I don't care if those people are Ross Perot who's one of my was one of my customers before he died or if it's an unemployed cook everybody's the same everybody gets treated with the same respect man how fun were the 60s now that we're on it uh you know it was it was uh it was different in that you didn't have to worry about being a kid you didn't have to worry about staying out till dark you know my brother my brother and i are 11 months apart he's one of the top attorneys in the country he's in houston now and we used to get up at six seven years old and we'd ride our bicycle to a fishing hole that's like three miles away and my mom would pack us a lunch and we'd get up like you know four or five in the morning we'd ride our bicycles over to this fishing hole so we'd be there by sun up and we'd fish all day long and her only rule was when the when the sun's going down, when the street lights come home, Ricky and Randy better be home. And so we'd get on those bicycles and we'd ride as fast as we could to try to beat home before the street lights came on. But it was you you didn't you didn't worry about things back then. And then you know, as you got to be a teenager and now you're in the late sixties, early seventies, you know, it was a lot of the you know, you have to go back and you think, okay, so this is the the Woodstock era, you know, and the 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 peace and the love and the hippies and all the 
the free love kind of stuff and you know it wasn't unusual to go to parties back then and everybody had the beads on the doors you know which i had them here forever my grandkids <laughs> tore them up so you know you'd have to do the beads to go in and everybody had the black lights and the lava lamps which i have a lava lamp on my desk by the way and it was just you know i mean it was kind of that you know, hey, you like this girl over here? Well, there you go. Okay, well, now you like this one over here? Okay, well, it was just kind of that whole free love. But it didn't mean the same thing that it means now. It was just kind of the normal the normal deal. You know, there wasn't fighting and and mean things. You know, it was, right. it was just different. It was, it was friendlier than it is now. How would you describe the scene back then? Was it a lot more wild as it you know to the traditional way as we would think of everybody partying everybody having a good time yes absolutely it was but it it was it was that with no expectations you know you didn't people weren't trying to be high rollers people weren't trying to be tough guys people weren't trying to be something that they're not you know so you know uh uh back then all my buddies you know the the people that i ran around with we all had little motorcycles hondas and suzuki's and yamaha's and you know we're 13 14 15 and it's you know that we all had the same dream which was the the which was the uh the ultimate dream when you're 15 someday i'm gonna own a harley davidson i'm gonna own a harley oh you ain't gonna own, i'm gonna own a harley someday i promise you i promise you i'm gonna own a harley davidson someday and it's like oh my god wouldn't that be so cool if we're sitting here you know in 10 years and we all got harleys you know it was just it was a dream that you never knew if it was going to come true or not i mean it was a big deal I mean, the Black Dragon knows you went through some of that. I mean, you you just long to have a Harley someday. Well, let me ask you this, and and you know, actually, um, um, it was Evil Knievel for me rolling up and down. There you go on those Harleys, jumping stuff. Uh, that was really crazy. Uh, I I'm really kind of amazed because that's what I started off on was a Harley. I mean, was a Honda Trail 50. Uh, and uh, the Honda uh, 50 ATC, uh, the three wheeler, right. and uh, those were those were a blast back uh, in in on the uh, farm roads in Oklahoma. It was really cool. So you know what what and I just you know what was your fascination to motorcycles? What what drew you to them? What made you feel like this was something that it was going to be a part of me for the rest of my life? You know, when I was the, when I was that kid on my great uncle's ranch, he had 650 acres and we'd go down there and it was, you know, my, his, my cousin went down there with me, sometimes my brother. And it was, you know, Hey, you know, you're going to be at the ranch all weekend. And it was, uh, you going to ride horses. Yeah. You know, it's fun to ride. What about that Jeep? Yeah, we're going to get in the Jeep and go right around the, and then once he got that motorcycle, it's like, can I go to the farm? Can I go to the farm? Can I go to the farm this weekend? Mom, can I go to, the... I just wanted to ride that motorcycle. 
And it, from the time I'd get up in the morning, I'd get on that thing until the time I got that, that make you go to bed. I just wanted to ride that, wanted to ride that motorcycle. And I remember being, and my brother used to ride too, and he still rides. And when I was, we were in Irving, where I grew up and I still live, Irving, Texas. And we, my dad had taken us to an ice cream parlor. And as we were walking through there, through the little shopping center, two guys pulled up on some, some chop Harleys. So it was like, I'm walking and I'm looking at those bikes and I'm looking at those bikes and I'm just mesmerized. And as I'm walking, there was one of those columns support columns and i bumped into that column and dropped my ice cream and my dad laughed and laughed and laughed and he said i told you son them motorcycle gonna get gonna get you in trouble someday i just was just just transfixed on those choppers i just thought they were so cool and you know oh my god what would it be like to ride a you know a couple of harleys like that and oh you know these guys are so cool you know they were probably 30 years old, but they were like old men, you know, back then. And it was like, oh, they're just so cool. Someday I want, I want that guy to be me. And then someday it was me. Was there, uh, so you're talking, everybody wanted to own a Harley back then. It was a big fascination with Harley, even back in the sixties. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was huge, you know, and it was, it was part of the problem I see now with the Harley world is that uh the baby boomers like me baby boomers were like from 48 to 64 you know after the war and all that we worshiped harleys you know so we all grew up probably y'all too you grew up outside so you're in chicago you're in atlanta where were you at mayhem i was in upstate new york upstate new york i'm in i'm in irving texas you're outside all the time. Like I said, you're never in the house. You know, you're outside throwing a football, baseball, basketball, skateboards, bicycles. Everybody, every kid had a bicycle and you rode that bicycle everywhere you went. And you knew where all the kids were because all the bicycles were piled up in the same spot. You all wanted to have a Harley someday. How many kids do you see riding bicycles in your neighborhood now? None. You don't? No. No. And that's the problem is we grew up outside on bicycles, which led to mini bikes, which led to Honda 250s, which yeah. led to owning a Sportster, which, led, you know, it just all leads down that road. And so now the young people are in the house on these things and on the computers doing things, doing activities, and they don't have the desire, most of them to ride a motorcycle and the ones that do they don't want to ride a harley that's what the old all the old men ride harleys you know so oh, we hear that a, all the time it's just it's just a, it's a different it's a different world and harley has tried hard you know they came out they, they bought buell so they came right. out with the buell for the young people one bad well, decision they, after another <laughs> yeah buell and the v-rod and the street 500 and the 750 and then the the uh now they got that electric bike they're trying to get the young people involved and i think to some point it's working but when we were kids every boy wanted a harley and now it's just a small a small fraction so 
It's just part Man. of the evolution, I guess. Uh, Daniel Escamilla, he just uh, said, I was at uh, Strokers this uh, su- last Sunday. Always a great time out there. A lot yeah. of your fans are coming, uh, well, Rick. Yeah, uh, Doc says, if you are uh, live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, highly recommend going to Strokers uh, to see the incredible bike museum that Mr. Fairless has built. Tell us about the bike museum. Well, it's, it's not really a bike museum like you would consider a museum. A guy paid me a good compliment a few years ago, and he said that his – let me say one thing. Hey, did you thank him profusely? I did. Okay. Mr. Anderson? Yeah. Yes. Okay, thank you. Just had a guy bring me a check for a custom bike that we're building for him. Oh, but, awesome. Yeah, thank so, him profusely. Yeah, thank him profusely. <laughs> so – it was, it was, he, the guy said that his corporate office is in, uh, in Dallas. He works out of Milwaukee. He comes to Dallas once a year for the company meetings. And he said, whenever I come in to Dallas for the corporate meeting, I always come through strokers on the weekend. And he said, it's always like walking back into 1969 when I walk through them doors. And that's to me is a compliment, you know, so I've got, I've got, you know, some used motorcycles for sale. I've got, oh, I don't know, 12 or 15 of my personal bikes kind of roped off there that people can look at. You know, I've got the ceiling. The ceiling is all painted, you know, with all kinds of Marilyn Monroe and Cheech and Chong and John Lennon and, you know, just different things. So every little place you go in there, has stuff crammed in it. Can you see behind me in my office? Oh yeah, yeah. My yeah. whole my whole place looks like that. <laughs> that hey, hey, Black Dragon, that ain't computer generated like your Black Dragon. <laughs> That's the real stuff I got. Well, you got another love that I seen that I uh, really uh, I think it's a '57. I'm not sure, but you got your pickup. I have, yeah, I have several. I love old cars and trucks, so I've got a. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 57 uh, Chevy 3100 pickup truck that I like to drive. I have a 69 C10 that I love to drive. And in here recently, I've been driving. I got a 55 Chevy uh, 210 Post that I've been driving lately, too. I usually drive that stuff as much as I can when the weather's good. I just love old cars and especially old pickup trucks. J-Man uh, is uh, in there. They're, now they're all, uh, how much for you to build a custom? You know, it depends. You know, I mean, what I tell people is, is you know, we're, we're not the cheap guy. You know, we don't need the experience. We're not building bikes out of a storage unit or a, a, a place behind my house. You know, it's what we do for a living. Most of my stuff's going to start at 50 grand and goes up you know, to well into six figures. 
So it mm. just depends kind of what the guy wants. You know, part of the expense is if you put one of the crazy Rick Fairless paint jobs on it, you know, where it looks just every inch is covered with all kinds of different things. Well, those paint jobs are 20 grand or more because it takes months and months and months of just airbrushing, airbrushing, airbrushing. And it just gets really expensive. But yeah, I mean, we can we can do stuff starting at 50 and going up from there. Um, you said 50 or 15? 50. 50. <laughs> Five zero. Five zero, yeah. Yeah. When did, when did you get into building bodies? When did you want oh, to oh, hold on, Black Dragon. He's, I, got him, I got him on the ropes over here. Yeah, yeah, well, I was just trying to get my 5-0 together over here, and I was hoping it was 15. <laughs> but <laughs> Let me ask you, does your, do, do you build the, the bike or just or you customize it? What, what is it that you do? Well, we do, we do both. I mean, for your people listening out there, if you'll just Google my name, Rick Fairless, and hit images on Google, you'll see hundreds or thousands of pictures of bikes that we built over the years. And, you know, it can be like what uh, a guy just dropped me off a check for was a bike that we are building for him. It's a, it's a ground up custom bike. Okay, oh my so, god look at these bikes there you Holy go that's that's what yeah, I'm they're doing. they're like art it's like works of art on two wheels really um, <laughs> the, the bikes that he has in his shop one that always sticks out in my mind um is the one that's got like this uh music theme and it's like john lennon's in the paint and, and all these things and there's like an old time microphone that's actually part of the uh sissy bar i believe yeah Yeah. and just so it's not even just the paint job on his bikes but i mean the parts the details the custom parts that they make for it um to fulfill that theme is just it's out of this world it's 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 a level of of craftsmanship i don't think i've ever seen um outside of rick fairless's bikes if you guys are are watching this or or listening in uh, on my um uh on my uh, uh podcast or whatever and I, I want you to just go over to another screen, and and my 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 whole mouth is just I'm just smiling. If you love motorcycles, uh, and you and you you just pop this screen up, and you type Rick Fairless, and when you type Rick Fairless, almost jumps in, uh, and then you just look at these motorcycles, you just start smiling, and so I want to ask you. Um, you 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 were saying to yourself as you were thinking about changing careers, um, uh, you know, I hope somebody brings a, a custom bike shop here, like Arlen Ness or someone. Right. Um, and then you said, "Why can't I be that guy?" Right? Uh, are you that guy? Have you eclipsed uh, Arlen Ness or or something no. like that in your no, mind? No, and and you know, Arlen Ness is was a good friend of mine, and his son Corey is a good friend of mine, and you know like evil Knievel, like you said, was always one of our childhood legends, but another one was Arlen Ness. You know, I mean, he was, he was the God of custom motorcycles, you know, and I'll never forget, you know, I used to, and you'll see pictures of me on there when I was young wearing Arlen Ness t-shirts and, uh, I'll never forget, I was in Sturgis one time. I've been every year since 87, so I've been 35 years in a row to Sturgis. It's like the second year I was there, 
I think I was standing on Main Street. I had a pretty custom bike, shovel head, which I still have. And I was sitting on Main Street, and I was just kind of looking around, looking around, and somebody said, nice shirt. And I looked down at my shirt. It was an Arlen Ness shirt. And I said, thank you. It was Arlen Ness. <laughs> and you would have thought I was talking to John Lennon or Pam Anderson or something. I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm just like a goofball. And uh, and I just kept talking. He just kept talking to me. He said, where are you from? And I said, Dallas. And he said, I sell a lot of parts to uh, I sell a lot of parts to Dallas. And I said, most of them's for me and a couple of my buddies. You know, <laughs> such a class act. And then you know, as I got bigger into the custom scene and opened my own shop, you know, I got into a group called the Hamsters, which y'all can Google the Hamsters USA. And that's a custom motorcycle club that I'm a proud member of. And, and Arlen is one of the original founders of the Hamsters. And, you know, just to be friends with, with Arlen Ness and Donnie Smith and Dave Perowitz and Don Hotop and, Paul Yaffe and Brian Clock and, you know, and all of these cool cats, Barry Cooney, you know, it's just a huge honor from, from some knucklehead from Irving, Texas, you know. <laughs> when did you get into building bikes and what was the first one that you built? Uh, you know, I was always customizing stuff. Like it started with that little mini bike that my great uncle gave me, you know, my brother and I were always messing with it to make it run, keep it running, change the handlebars. And then I got a Honda 100 where we like to ride on the dirt. So I would, you know, on Saturday, on Friday nights, we would meet in the garage and I had a Honda 100. My brother had a Yamaha 100 and all of the kids in the neighborhood, we all had small little bikes we would come over to my garage and we would strip them down you know we'd pull off the the fenders and back then there was a, a guy called preston petty and preston petty made like plastic fenders you know so if you if you wrecked your bike you didn't bust the fender or whatever and so we would get preston petty fenders and the preston petty plastic gas tank and we would make our bike ready for the dirt and then we would ride out in the hills of of uh, Irving, Dallas, out there where I live, all weekend. And then on on Sunday night, we'd put all the stuff back on it to make them street legal to ride to school. So it started there. You know, I just can't leave something alone. And it's the same way with the 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 motorcycles I have or whatever I have. I just I think, okay, this is pretty cool. You know what I can do? You know what would be cool? You know, and then it's just, it just never stops. It never stops. Look so at your, mind is, your mind's getting all creative and stuff, and it never stops in your it head. Never, it, I can't make it stop. I can't make it stop. I can't focus on anything very long because my mind's just 8,000 miles an hour, and people look at those bikes that Mayhem's and Black Dragon are looking at, and they're looking at all them bikes on there, and they'll say, where do you get all these ideas? Brother, that's the easy part. The ideas are easy. I got millions of them. I got more <laughs> ideas than I got money. That's easy. And time, right? Yeah. So so how much of your painting experience came from 20 years in the paint sales industry? Well, it, when I was in the in working for Glidden, 
that was, I was, uh, it, it started out with a local company called Roach Paint Company. And my great aunt and uncle that, that got me that first motorcycle, well, they owned this company. So it was a, a Texas-based paint supplier for residential and, and, and uh, apartments and commercial. So we sold paint. And so I'd be a kid, you know, that 10-year-old kid riding that motorcycle, and he'd say, back then he had like 20 stores. He'd say, Ricky, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I'd say, we call him Sarge. I'd say, I'm going to run a paint store for you, Sarge. And he'd say, which one are you going to run? And I'd say, I want to run that one in Irving, you know, not where I live. Well, I ran that one in Irving for 20 years, and, and I just same way with wanting my motorcycles and my cars and my stuff to be cool i wanted to be the best at whatever i did so i built that store up to the number one store in the the by then it was 30 stores and then he got old and he sold to glidden paint company so now you know my store number uh uh like the the dealer number for my store was four and then when Glidden bought us out, my dealer number was 836, you know, so that was a huge change. So I wanted to be, uh, wait a minute, is Alice okay? Okay, okay, let me know, honey. My wife's going home, my dog fell in the pool. I got a, oh. I got a, three old English sheep dogs and one of them's blind or almost blind. You know, they got a, that pool protector thing for dogs. I, I lost a dog uh, in a pool. Many. She got old and fell in the pool and didn't didn't survive. So they've got this pool thing for dogs. Yeah. Uh, that goes around your pool like a dinghy, just in case you didn't know about that. Yeah, I need to we're, check into that. Yeah, we're big dog people over here. I got two of them much uh, right there. One will start barking anytime now, I promise. Yeah, I got three. Did you uh, parlay your... Uh, motorcycle uh building business into strokers no 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 this is, this is what i was going to ask uh, uh, uh with that heart uh um so you're you went from paint sales to to um uh motorcycle what right. what made you decide you need a restaurant i mean these are just completely diverse well it was it was and see they're they're not you know it, it all goes back to uh you know, being 14 and we all wanted a Harley. So now fast forward and we're all in our 20s and 30s and we all have Harleys and we all hang out. So I lived on three acres of land. Uh, and so my kids all had mini bikes and stuff that I raised them on. And so all the guys would come over and I had a big barn type garage and we'd sit out there and we'd listen to music and drink beer and wrench on our bikes and you know so we'd always sit there and we'd talk about you know hey man i'd love to own a motorcycle shop you know hey i'd love to own a biker bar kind of thing and so we would you know when we would go somewhere we'd say okay let's all meet up at rick's place we'd all go to the harley shop you'd go in there you'd walk around it's like okay here's the harley shop yeah you know, it was just, it's a Harley shop. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't anything great or special and they're kind of all the same, not saying they're not cool because they are cool, but they weren't, they weren't cool when you were into custom stuff. And so we'd say, okay, let's go somewhere and drink a beer. 
So you'd go somewhere and you wanted to drink a beer and eat a hamburger and kind of hang out with your buddies. And so we'd talk about what's the perfect motorcycle shop. Well, the perfect motorcycle shop, you can go in there, you can see parts from Arlen Ness and Pat Kennedy and Don Hotop and Donnie Smith and Perowitz. And, you know, you can see all that stuff there where the Harley shop has lived to ride, you know, all of that stuff. They didn't have any of that. And then we, then I said, no, the perfect motorcycle shop has all of that. And then it has a little bar and grill on the same property where you can pull your motorcycle, drink a beer, hang out with your buddies, listen to music. And we'd laugh and we'd say, you know, my buddies would say, that would be awesome. You know, it'll never happen, but that would be awesome. And, and I would say, yeah, it, it won't ever happen, but man, wouldn't that be cool? And then when easy riders started their franchise deal i thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna because i had 20 years in with glidden so it's eligible for retirement and i thought man wouldn't that be wouldn't that be cool to to do something like that and i thought yeah but you know that's other people that's not me well i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna call i'm gonna call on monday i'm gonna i'm gonna make the phone call and I just shot my bike, my shovel head, for the cover of Easy Rider magazine. So I was, I was pumped. We did it in Daytona, and they got the girls topless and all that crazy stuff we did back then. And then I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. So I called when I got back, and they pumped me up, and they said, yeah, 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 you know, we, we could use a store in Dallas. And at that time, he had like seven or eight stores. Yeah, Joe Teresi. Yeah, that would be cool. And they pump you up and it's like, hey, wait a minute, this thing could really happen. I could really, you know, and I kept saying, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And then they said, what about your partners? You know, send us your financials and all that. I did. What about your partners? And I said, I don't have any partners. Well, Rick, you really need to find it. And I said, no, I don't do partners. Just me. They said, well, you don't have enough money to. And I said, well, you know, my plan is to get a SBA loan if it gets that far. And they laughed at me and they said, you ain't going to get no SBA loan. You're a middle class guy. And, you know, and and I said, well, but that would be, you know, and so the, they basically dumped me and said, uh, you know, you, you go ahead and do your thing and we're going to keep looking in Dallas because we, you know, we don't think you're the guy. We don't think you can come up with the money or whatever. And I was like wanting to quit. And then I was like wanting to show these people that, hey, if I want to do it. And my brother was on that conference call, too. And my brother said, you don't know Rick Fairless. If Rick Fairless wants to do something bad enough, he does it. And I went and met with the, the Easy Rider guy, came to Dallas for a graduation of one of his nephews or something. He said, meet me for breakfast, met him for breakfast. We were there for two hours and he said, you go get that loan because you're, you're the guy. I believe in you. You're the guy. And so I got the loan and I kept saying, okay, it's not just a motorcycle shop. It's a bar and grill, a bar and grill, a bar and grill. And he kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get the motorcycle. And so, you know, I, we worked hard and we got the motorcycle shop open and I said, okay, I'm, 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 I want to get that bar and grill going. And they just kept kind of putting it off and they didn't want me to really do it. And, and I did it anyway. 
and I can tell you that the that the the bar has floated the motorcycle shop for many years, especially through the COVID. You know, people the motorcycle it's just like mayhem. You know, people come to a motorcycle shop. Well, we need some parts. Well, we haven't been in long. Well, we got to get an oil change. When you have a bar and grill, guess what? They come every weekend. They're going to drink a beer. Some guys will drink 10 beers and some guys will drink one. Some guys will drink a Dr. Pepper. And they're going to eat a hamburger and they're going to meet their buddies and hang out. Some guys hang out there 20 minutes. Some guys hang out there eight hours. Yeah. You know, so it's just a it's just a cool it's a cool vibe where everybody is welcome and and it's it's that bar and grill that has helped me be here after 26 years. And you, you know, made, you made a perfect point here that the younger generation needs to understand, and that is, if you want something, you got to go get it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you not, got that SBA loan. Yeah, and those are hard. To, <laughs> they are. are hard they are hard to get. And you know, I got I got turned down. I went to all these different places. One of them was was the bank where 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 I banked and my dad banked, and I went to all these different places. Well, they all turned me down except two guys, and one of the guys that approved me was. A customer of mine at Glidden, he had a bunch of rent houses, so he bought paint from him. And the other one was my bank. And my bank made me a better deal. So I went in there and he said, okay, we're going to do the deal. Uh, you know, you're great and all this. And you're in your 30s. You're stable. You've had the same job for 20 years. He said, we just need one more thing from you. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, we need your dad to co-sign the loan. And I'm like... I, you know, I'm in my, my late thirties and you want my daddy to come in and and, then, and I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> and then I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I called my dad and I said, can you go to the bank with me Monday morning or what? And I said, I'm going to do this deal and I want you to co-sign. He said, okay, what kind of deal are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do a, uh, I'm going to open my own business. And my dad was all for opening my own business. He said, he said, that's awesome. Hold on. My, he said, that's awesome, son. You're going to open your own paint store. And I said, no, sir, I'm going to open a motorcycle shop. And he said, hold on a minute, boy. Motorcycles are your hobby. You make your living selling paint. I said, I know, dad, but I think I can do good at it. I, I think I can, I can do it. And he said, have you thought? Of it? And I said, I've been through all of that. He said, okay, I'll co-sign for you and let's get this thing going. <laughs> uh, Tony asked, uh, Rick, was it a challenge to maintain the alcohol licenses along with the COVID uh, food safety requirements in the garage altogether during the pandemic? It was terrible. They, they, the, the, the <clears throat> governor in Texas closed all the bars for months and so we were actually through the the tabc which is a texas alcoholic beverage commission we were classified as a bar that sold food well the governor closed all of them so the only way you could get by that was to be classified a 
restaurant that sold alcohol. But with that is a whole different set of rules and regulations and all that. And so finally the guy from the TABC said, you, you need to change this classification. I said, well, how do I do that? How do I do it? He said, you do that, you do this, you do this, you do this, you send it to me, I'll sign it. He said, we're pissed at the governor because we're losing all our revenue. He said, you sell a bunch of food there. I see on your records. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, let's reclassify you. So they reclassified me and we opened up and, and, uh, but we were shut down for 90 days. This is during, uh, I think it was like April, May, June, when the weather is perfect in Dallas. So it's the, the months where we should be making a ton of money. We weren't making any money. And it was people not coming to the bar or people that's not coming to the motorcycle shop too. So it was tough. I mean, it was real tough. Now you have an insurance company. You were on Biker Build Off, weren't you? Yes, sir. Okay, we'll talk about that. But you got an insurance company. Yeah, and the reason that I did the insurance company was, you know, we sell a lot of motorcycles, and a lot of them are on the weekends. So you got to, you know, if you're going to finance a bike, you got to have insurance before you can ride off. Well, it was like pulling teeth to get an insurance agent to write a, a policy on a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday at late Friday. So I started a little insurance company. I sent my daughter Lena to insurance school so she could write policies just to facilitate motorcycle sales. And we did that for years. And then uh, I started building bikes for Allstate that they would take to different shows around the country. And so we'd build these cool bikes. And some of the bikes that you see on my deal there are bikes that I've done for Allstate. And Allstate would be like, why don't you, why don't you uh, expand your insurance company? And I'd say, I, and I, don't, I don't know about all that. You know, we just do insurance on bikes that we sell, Dairyland. And uh, so one day they sent a guy out to talk to me and he showed me that I could be an independent dealer out of my agent, uh, out of my, out my agency, out of my dealership here and open it up to homeowners insurance and automobile insurance. And now we do business insurance and I've hired a couple of guys that uh, my daughter is still one of them. And I ha hired another young fellow that's, really good at insurance and i mean it's it's taken off and it's doing really good uh one of our guys asked if you're going to expand it your insurance company out of uh out of the city uh, now we're, we're texas we're texas we do everything in texas so we we've, we've talked about going outside of texas which is some different things that we have to do and at some point yes we're going to do that we're kind of growing a little we're growing a lot, but we're doing it kind of methodically. So we just started doing business insurance in the last year and that's getting better and better and better. And then one of the things that we want to do is expand it to different states around, around uh, the South and then kind of work our way. That's awesome. Yeah. Biker build off. My God, you were in that one. How were, you're a legend in uh, building choppers. How about Jesse and uh, Larry, man? Everybody knows Indian Larry, rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. How was your experience on Biker Build Off? 
it was awesome. You know, uh, like you, you just mentioned Jesse James. He just sent my daughter at my daughter's birthday. 35th birthday was yesterday. So he told my daughter, he, evidently he has some Jesse James FU coffee. So <laughs> he told my daughter he was sending her a bunch of FU coffee of his coffee. And then he said, I'm going to send a bunch to the old man so he can have it at the store there too. So we got a bunch of Jesse James FU coffee coming, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesse's a good guy, and, and I don't talk to him much, maybe once a year, but my daughter talks to him all the time. You know, them kids are always doing that and flapping right. <laughs> on the social media stuff. But he's, he's he's a great guy. Indian Larry was a great guy. You know, all those guys were good guys. Mm -hmm. One thing I learned from the show, uh, from all of you guys, uh, every, you know, buddy from you to Andy and Larry is the work ethic. Yeah, the work ethic is just huge with you guys. And, and, you know, one of the things that I do is I'm a motivational speaker. I've actually lectured at TCU three times and I've lectured at DePaul University in Greencastle, Greencastle, Indiana, a couple of times. And I do for some different companies and things to motivate people. And uh, you have a work ethic. You know, everybody has a work ethic, whether it's a crummy one or a really good one or whatever. So it's it's like you can do and you can be whatever it is you want to be if you want to be it bad enough. You know, how bad do you want to have your own motorcycle shop? How bad do you want to lose weight? How bad do you want to get that promotion? How bad do you want that new CVO? You know, it's if you if you want something bad enough and you're willing to sacrifice, then you can do it, you know? And it, and then, so the reason that the, 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 the colleges and some of the companies like me to come in is because I don't look like the rest of them do. I don't come in there in a, in a suit and tie and have the shoes with the little tassels on the front of them. You know, I come in <laughs> looking like this and I tell them that, you know, there's different ways to climb the ladder. You know, where do you want to go? That ladder just doesn't go straight up and down. It goes all over the place. You know, where do you want to go? How, 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 how can you get there? Is there your work ethic? You know, how big is your work ethic to get you there? You know, and then I always, you know, as I'm talking, we're showing slides of, of the bikes and the parties and the different things that we do here. And at the end of the speech, I always end it the same. If a dumbass like me can be successful, anybody can. You just got to want it bad enough. So how, Very, how, how good are you uh, at firing people? You know what? I don't like to do that, but I've done it probably a thousand times. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's bringing people in my office and it's having a pep talk and having another pep talk and come on now, guys. And, you know, and then... It's just, uh, it's a, it, you don't like to do it because it, it disrupts somebody's life, but it also is, is bad for me because I can't sleep thinking about it. I don't want to do it. Now, sometimes I enjoy doing it. If it's a, if it's a, an idiot that needs firing or somebody that's stealing from me or, you know, something like that. There's been uh, a handful of those guys that I fired that I actually 
enjoy doing it, but 99% of the time I don't like doing it because, you know, it's just, it's very disruptive on people's lives. Mm. Well, you got somebody you want me to fire? Uh, (laughs) I've always, I've always had a hard time firing people. I think that, yeah, that's, that's, uh, you know, and I was a, a national president of motorcycle club and I always had a hard time firing people. Uh, just tough. And uh, so I like to ask uh, successful people, uh, how how are you at firing people? Because that yeah. that's part of your success, right? No, now going no. to your next project was Ma's Roadhouse, wasn't it? Texas Hardtails. Texas Hardtails, my fault. So Texas Hardtails was a, a series that we did on the Speed Channel, and uh, it got bought out by Fox. We did a season that got bought out by Fox and Fox wanted to do different things than the reality thing that we were doing. And then four or five years after that, we did Ma's Roadhouse on True TV, which I hate True TV. They're a bunch of True TV is the most untrue network out there, you know, and it was just it was just a terrible deal. The production company I dealt with was awesome, uh, but they fought the they fought True TV and we fought True TV. So we did a season of that, and that was the end of that. But mm-hmm. like you know, we've done a bunch of a bunch of other stuff. I've been on I've done Fast and Loud with Richard Rawlins probably a half dozen times. He's a good friend of mine, and he's over here. He just lives around the corner from me. He's here all the time, and. Uh, we're doing that job swap again for the third time. I think we start filming that on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. So there's a lot of stuff that we've done. I even did a, a deal on uh, the cooking channel called Cake Hunters, where we were having a big anniversary party and I had to go interview these cake makers and they had to wow me with these little cakes and then I had to choose one. Then they made me this, you know, so it was a pretty cool deal. So I get you know, grandma and grandpa coming in here, and I'll think those people don't look like they got anything to do with motorcycles. They don't. They saw me on the Cake Hunter show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> which is well, awesome. I know. <laughs> That's funny shit, right there. I know we've had you on about an hour, and you're busy. But one last question for you, Rick. Yeah. What do you want to be remembered as? You know, I think I'd want to be remembered. I hear that dog back there now. What's that dog's name? Oh, that's uh, Brutus. Brutus, okay. If the your name is a black animal. dragon, if your name is a black dragon, your dog's got to be Brutus. Probably <laughs> <laughs> got a Bluto back there too, and a and a Caesar and a King. Uh, well, I've got I've got Braveheart and there Brutus. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so guess what? My 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 dog's names are the one that fell in the pool. Her name is Alice. You remember the honeymooners to the moon uh-huh. so yep. Alice and Trixie was her best friend and then Ethel which was you know Lucy and Ethel you know yeah, yeah. those are my dog's names but I mean I think you know I want to be remembered as just a, a good old boy from Irving Texas that loved custom motorcycles I, I have one last one for you you said you were the luckiest boy in the world yeah what do you mean by that when I'm seven and nine and 14 and 18, you know, and I'm dreaming of owning a motorcycle and I got a 
Then I dreamed of owning a Harley and I got a Harley. And then I dreamed of, you know, owning a motorcycle shop and a bar and grill. And I've had that for the last 26 years. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, the old thinking that the old deal they say is, you know, if you, if you love what you do for a living, you'll never work a day in your life. I'm that, I'm that guy. I don't work. I come and hang out with motorcycles and motorcycle people all day, every day. And I work every single day. You know, the reason we're doing this interview at 9 a.m. is because, guess what? I go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. But I get up at 1.30 and I come to work and I get some quiet time and I do some things. And, you know, and then by 6 o'clock, I'm done. I'm spent. I'm ready to go home. But I'm here every day. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, too. Every day is the same to me because I love what I do so much. You know, and if, if anybody has the opportunity to ever own your own business, it's worth it. You know, I mean, it's a lot of, of sacrifice. I mean, you guys are sacrificing to do, to do the podcast, but guess what? You're talking about motorcycles and y'all love motorcycles and, and it's, it's who we are and what we do. And, and, you know, so it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to do what you love to do every single day. And it's mm-hmm. like this weekend is in the 70s, upper 60s, low 70s. I know I'm going to have a bunch of buddies like Mayhem come in, and I'm going to shake hands and pat people on the back and walk around and look at motorcycles and talk about motorcycles. It's like, oh, boy, I can't wait. Here we go. <laughs> I can't yeah, wait either. <laughs> you have to rub it in about 70s while we're sitting up here at negative three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was just up in uh, Western New York a couple weekends ago, and uh, for a wedding, and um, I went out and took the kids out. We went out in snowmobiles, and it started out in twenty, um, and then it, up at Tug Hill, and then uh, after an hour, it was seven degrees without any wind chill. I said, "I gotta get back to Texas." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is, uh, <laughs> this is Rick Fairless. You guys got to go to Strokers, Dallas, man. I'm going to make a special trip just to go down there uh, and see the, this wild place, man. Uh, but he also has an insurance company. If you're in Texas, check him out. You guys got to go to his website, man. These bikes are, are they're work of art, man. They really are. They're works of art. And if I, if I can, you know, if people, w- we've got a YouTube channel under Strokers Dallas. We've got Facebook under Strokers Dallas. So the big Facebook page is my name, just Rick Fairless. There's like a public figure page, and that's where I post most stuff on. Uh, uh, you know, you can you can check us out on Google and all that. I have a merch, a merch store with all this cool kind of stuff called strokersdallasmerch.com i mean so everywhere if you just google my name or strokers dallas you'll see the you know we're everywhere out there and my 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 daughters are really good on the social media and i've learned how to do it some mayhem had to teach me the other day how to go to get messages on instagram i didn't know you could get messages on instagram mayhem taught me how to do that so i, I figured that one out yeah, I mean, it, just check us out online, and we'd love for y'all to come see us and drink a beer with us. Rock on, man. Well, it's great having you on, Rick. I know you're busy, and we look forward to your new show, man. We really do. When's that premiering? Well, that this one that we're working on now is only going to be in Europe. It's a European deal. 
So they keep talking about bringing it to the United States, but basically I'm sending two mechanics. You don't know where they're going, but they're going somewhere in Europe and they're sending two mechanics from somewhere in Europe to work for me. And it's, and it's, it's almost like that wife swap where the, the, the one guy has the big house and a beautiful wife and then they trade it's that wife swap and then they, she goes to a pig farmer and the pig farmer's wife comes to, you know, so they put you in unfamiliar situations. And so there's a language barrier and it just makes for good TV. And, you know, so I'll take these guys out. They probably don't have any Harley experience. And the last guys, you know, they wanted to, their dream was to ride a Harley. And so I got them on some Harleys and we went for a ride. So, you know, it's always, we're always working on something. That's awesome. Well, you have a good one. We got a lot of people that have said they subscribe to your YouTube yeah. channel and stuff. Yeah, please, uh, please. That's awesome. And somebody oh, also yeah. said that they're adding your shop to their tech, uh, your your yeah. shop to their stop. So some people are going to be coming to see you. It's a I say goodbye, vamoose, adios, ciao, so long, get your hat jacked. Number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode.